Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? Uh, You'll find your paper outline there in your program, Uh, but if you'd like to use your mobile device, you'll see information on how to do that behind me on the slide, or there's more information there in your study outline as well. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you, there are the hundreds of you uh, every week that join us from all across the country, even different places in the world, Uh, and just welcome you that are joining us online, and also our friends at First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, and First Baptist Baptist Church of Kalispell, Montana, and also the Hangar in Marion, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for this study of God's Word as well. We've been doing a series uh, and, and continuing a series of chapter by chapter of the book of John. Um, there are four eyewitness biographies of the life of Jesus. One was written by Matthew, one by Mark, one by Luke, this one by John, and we've been going chapter by chapter through it. The title of the series is Upside Down, How Jesus Reframes everything. And today we're going to talk about the good shepherd as Jesus talks about it in John chapter 10. Jesus is now three months from his crucifixion. So everything he says today, uh, remember, he is saying this just three months before his execution at the hands of the Romans. And here's our theme verse for the morning. John 10 verse 10. The thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, And this is uh, kind of a downer to start the morning like this, but you know what? It's a good reminder. If we don't know that we have an enemy, we're unaware that he's out there, and he wants to steal your dreams. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage, your friendships. He wants to destroy you. And it's just a good reminder that he is out there to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, contrary to that, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, or in another translation, life abundantly. Here's the theme for the morning. Christ wants to give you an abundant life. Satan wants to destroy your life. He'll put a bad idea in your mind. And he'll say, go ahead and do it. You know, he'll he'll minimize the long-term consequences and maximize the short-term benefits. Do you know that the Bible teaches that sin is fun? You're like, where's that in the Scripture? I want to memorize that one and put it up on my bulletin board. Yeah, the Bible says sin is fun. It says, for a season, for short term, sin is fun. Long term, it'll break your heart. It'll break up your marriage. It'll mess up your kids. I mean, long term, there will be consequences. But short term, sin is fun. And so what he'll do is he'll maximize the short term fun and minimize the long-term brokenness that that comes from it. He says, go ahead, go ahead. And as soon as you go ahead and do it, or or say it, or think it, or whatever it is he's tempting you to do, you know what he does? Instantly he steps back and says, I can't believe you did that. You are such scum. God can never forgive you. God will never love you. I can't believe you did such a terrible thing. You'll go, "Uh, but wait, you just told me to. Ah, You did it. You listened and now he condemns us. Uh, now, there are many wonderful people in sales and many within our church family that are just wonderful salespeople. But have you ever, how many of you have ever had a salesperson uh, try to sell you something you didn't need or you couldn't afford? Let, let me see your hands, okay. And that's exactly what they do. They maximize the short-term benefit. Isn't this thing awesome? And then they minimize the long-term consequences. Oh, it's just 500 easy payments over the next 40 years. Okay, you know, and, and you're still paying on that thing when you're 90 years old. And long ago, you have forgotten the short-term benefit of, of that thing. That is like a distant memory. But boy, you still got those payments coming. 
And that's the way it is with sin. I mean, it's fun for a while, but you're paying on it for a long time. You have long since forgotten the fun, and all you know now uh, is the consequences. I remember um, about a year ago, Kimberly and I were shopping for a mattress. And boy, that is a stressful, expensive endeavor, I'm telling you. And, uh, you know, I didn't have the guy Larry, you know, on the radio to help me out there. And, And this guy was extremely friendly. He was just wonderful, just so nice until the sale was made. And then he turned as cold as ice. And I'm like, come on, fake it till we get out the door, you know? But as soon as the sale was made and we had signed on the dotted line, then it all changed. Satan's, Satan's your best friend when he's telling you to sin. Oh, he's your buddy. Soon as you do it, he backs away and he comes, becomes cold as ice. And so Christ wants to give you an abundant life. You just remember that. He has your long-term benefit in mind. Satan wants to destroy your life. What's it like to live an abundant life? Number one, I'm confident that I matter to God. I'm confident that I matter to God. Verse one, very truly, when Jesus says that, he means make sure you get this. Pay attention, I tell you, Pharisees. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief. The Greek word here is kleptes, from which we get our word kleptomania. Uh, He is a thief, a kleptomaniac, and a robber. Uh, the Greek word here is lestes, from which we get our word molest. It carries with the idea not just of stealing, but also of violence and plundering. So Satan is a kleptomaniac stealing stuff from you left and right, and he is a robber, lestes. He's a molester. He's a kleptomaniac and a molester. Now, during certain times of the year, the shepherds would lock up their sheep in a shared public pen in the city. And they'd hire a gatekeeper, a hired hand, to guard the door to guard several flocks of sheep. But sometimes in the middle of the night, a group of thieves would come to steal the sheep. And one would stand on the shoulder of another and get over the wall. And then that guy that's in the sheep pen would slit the throat of several sheep, throw them over the wall to his buddies uh, on the other side. And and, and Jesus says that's what Satan is. He's like that. He's a thief and a robber. Verse 2. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. There's a very personal term. His own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Then in the morning, the gatekeepers had them during the night. In the morning, the shepherd would come, and he would call to his own sheep, and they would follow him out of the sheep pen, and he would always lead them. The shepherd would always go someplace first, and the sheep would follow. So whatever you're going through in your life this morning, Jesus has been there first. If there is a time of blessedness within your life, it's because he led you into that green pasture. If there's a time of difficulty, Jesus has already gone there to scout the dangers in preparation for you arriving. So wherever you have been, he has gone first because the shepherd always leads. Now, he calls the sheep by name. Uh, the shepherd had pet names uh, for the sheep, like uh, Blackfoot and Fluffy Tail and, and Crooked Leg, and, and, and he had all these little pet names uh, for the sheep, like in the same way that uh, we name our children. He would name the sheep. Top three names, boys' names in 2015, top three baby names were Liam, Noah, and Ethan. Top three girls' names were Emma, Olivia, and Sophia. 
Now, guess where Glenn ended up in the list uh, in 2015? Number 1,143. And I read about it, and it was so depressing that it said it is dramatically trending downward in the last decade. My name is getting geekier by the day. Now, I want you to know that our family is doing everything we can to, to keep the name of Glenn up there. Here we are on Thursday at my father's grave in Prince George, Virginia. And my dad was Glenn Gunderson Sr. I am Glenn Gunderson Jr. My son, who was not there, is Andrew Glenn. And here's my grandson, James Glenn. So he is very happily carrying on the family tradition. It may get him beat up on the playground, but he's still proud uh, to, to own that name. All right. Uh, Kimberly will tell you that her name is number 336. And it is not trending downward. It is holding its own uh, through the year. Now, whether you have a popular name or an unpopular name, here's some good news. Isaiah 43, uh, verse 1. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I've summoned you by name. And, and, and you are mine. Uh, Pastor Jay, remember the song we used to do, He Knows My Name? I miss that song. We need to bring that song back. I love that song. He knows my name. And so whether it's popular or not popular, he knows your name. It says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The Greek word for know here is gnosko, which carries with it the idea of trust and intimacy. He intimately knows every detail of your life and you can trust him with every detail of your life. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, 99.9% of Bible scholars say these other sheep in another sheep pen. What's up with that? They say they are the non-Jewish people, the, what we call the Gentiles. Most of us here, some of us here are Jewish, uh, but many of us here are non-Jewish or Gentile. And so he talks about, I have sheep of another pen that I've got to bring into my flock. He's talking about, he's speaking to Jews, but now he's saying we've got to bring in the Gentiles. So 99.9% of Bible scholars believe it's the Gentiles. But there is one exception to that, a great Bible scholar by the name of Larry Norman. Uh, maybe some of you remember him. How many of you, the Jesus movement in California in the 1960s? Okay, I, I grew up the part of the Jesus movement in the 1960s in Virginia. And I love this album. Oh my goodness. I listened to it 10,000 times. And as a young guy growing up in Southern Virginia, near the North Carolina border, I thought every Californian looked like this. This is what, this, this is what I thought. How many of you were alive during the 1960s in California? Let, let me see your hands. I thought you looked like this. This is what I just thought everyone. And uh, he had an alternative theory um, to this particular verse. There's a song uh, called, He's an Unidentified Flying Object. It went like this. He's an unidentified flying object. You will see him in the air. He's an unidentified flying object. You will drop your hands and stare. You will be afraid to tell your neighbors. They might think that it's not true. But when they open up the morning papers, they will know they've seen him too. And if there's life on other planets, then I'm sure that he must know. And he's gone there once already and has died to save their souls. Jay? I want the choir and orchestra to back me up on that sometime, okay? I, 
I think this could be really awesome. By the way, you don't have to be nervous. I'm never going to do that again, okay? I, I, it's like, oh my goodness, nothing lamer than the pastor singing in the middle of the sermon. Um, uh, my, Kimberly wanted me to sing at our wedding, and my dad said he wouldn't go if I sang at the wedding. <laughs> Uh, Presbyterians did not sing at their own wedding. I'm telling you that. But it, I tell you, the, the, the most intimidating thing was doing that at 8:30 service. And Dan Burr, Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan Burr, was sitting on the third row. And I told him afterwards, that's like giving an invitation, and Billy Graham's on the front row. I'm, I'm telling you, that's but at any rate, his his theory there was his theory was that uh, these are on other planets. And by the way. If there are uh, people on other planets, that doesn't mess up our faith at all. Because if there's life on other planets, then I'm sure that he must know, and he's been there once already and has died to save their souls. Amen? Okay, go with me here. I know you don't have to. You don't have to. Like, uh, I don't know. But I remember when I was a kid, I read a short story, a science fiction short story about an astronaut that was going from planet to planet to planet, and he was always missing Jesus by shorter and shorter moments because Jesus had already been there, had taught the people, had died on the cross, risen from the grave, and gone to the next planet. And he was just chasing Jesus across the universe. If you want to read the book, you can let me know where it is. I'm sure you'll be fascinated. Uh, second thing, I am confident God is leading me somewhere good. I'm confident that God is leading me somewhere good. N.T. Wright says, someone else can come to the sheepfold and they won't go near him. Even if he calls the right names, they are listening for the one voice that matters, the voice that they can trust. And so the sheep, the shepherd doesn't beat the sheep. He doesn't drive the sheep. He doesn't push the sheep. He simply leads the sheep and speaks to the sheep over and over again. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, now Jesus, you know, we show video clips, but Jesus spoke in video clips. He, he pointed out stuff as he was teaching it. He had his own living video clips there. And so he would simply point to what they could probably see many of the times from where they were standing. And so this is what they would see even as they heard Jesus, or they had seen, even though they couldn't currently see it, this is what they had seen or could see even as Jesus was, was talking about it. Next page of your study outline. Now Jesus pivots to another picture. He's been talking about the shepherd and the sheep. Now he, he pivots to the picture of the sheep pen. Put a picture of a sheep pen up there. This is an old, old one. But when they were actually out in the field, now the shepherd would only have his own flock in the sheep pen. And there was an opening at the end where the shepherd would lay down and sleep at night so that the only ones that could get into the sheep pen would be his own sheep. And if anybody wanted to attack the sheep, they would have to go through the shepherd. Reminds me of a number of years back, I, I spoke a couple of times at, at Bible conferences in Pakistan uh, near Islamabad. And uh, Priscilla Constantine, who was from our church, was part of that. And also my friend, Dr. Luke Cutherell. And you've heard me brag about him a bunch of times. He's my all-time hero. Uh, we were friends in college. We ran track together at Wheaton College. And uh, he went on to become the top surgeon and top doctor official, administrative official, for this awesome, large Christian hospital in Abbottabad, uh, Pakistan. He's been there for decades. You may recognize the name because that's where the Navy SEALs came. Osama bin Laden. 
Well, that's where his Christian hospital is. And it's just, it's just crazy. You know, he'll, he's just got so many amazing stories where the mosques, there'll be somebody there preaching on a Friday night and will say, we ought to go over and burn that hospital down. And the next day after that preacher, the imam, said that, the next day he comes into the hospital having an appendectomy and appendicitis. And so he said, note the irony that the guy that wanted to burn us down on Friday night is now getting care from the hospital. Another interesting thing about Luke is he's probably the only person on the planet that was at the beginning and the end of 9-11. He was at a doctor's conference in New York City when 9-11 hit. And he was one of a group of doctors from this conference that was mobilized to care for the survivors uh, from the 9-11 attacks. Well, then he was at the end of it as well. He slept through it, but he was at the end. Uh, he was not on the night shift. And so he slept through the Navy SEALs uh, blowing up the compound and killing Osama bin Laden. But his night staff at the hospital, they could hear the explosions going on from the hospital, uh, from where his hospital is there. So somehow, whenever you visit your, an American pastor visits um, missionaries. M- Michaela Henderson, we're going to pray for her at the end. And her parents are missionaries. Uh, she grew up in missionaries from our church in Mexico. And I don't know, Michaela, what it is, but missionaries always feel that American pastors want dangerous adventures when they come to visit them. Can I just send a word to your parents? We don't want that, okay? We're not looking for that in the least. Mike Mann used to do that, Sham, in, in Thailand. And Dr. Luke, he thought he needed to scare his American pastor friend. So we went out in the, in the rural area near the Afghanistan border, and this was before 9-11, so we had never heard this name. I had never heard this name, but he says there's this guy named Osama bin Laden, and he's out there, and he's kind of got a roving group of gang members in this area, so we've got to be careful uh, when we spend the night there. I said, okay, and so they put all the men into this brick house, and then there was this one door to get in it, so they stationed a guy on a chair with a Kalashnikov machine gun on his lap, and he would sleep there on the chair with this machine gun guarding the gate just like the shepherd would do so that they couldn't get through to the sheep that were sleeping in there. Well, my friend Luke loves to tell this story. It's one of his favorite stories to make fun of me. He, in the middle of the night, I have to go to the bathroom. And I've just made it a habit not to startle or awaken sleeping people with machine gun on their lap. I mean, it's just been a rule of mine. And so he hears this little timid voice going, Sir, sir, uh, he, he spoke Urdu, I spoke English, and, and uh, I go, I, I need to go to the bathroom now. And he thought that was the funniest thing he had ever you know, heard. Uh, so therefore, Jesus said again, okay, so it's like the laying across the entrance there, the, the gate, he's the gate uh, to protect us. Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. That is the false messiahs, the false prophets that have come before. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody becomes part of his flock unless they come through me. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now, this is the wonderful thing about Jesus. Satan comes to destroy your life and your dreams and your relationship. Jesus came to redeem and to restore. What is the kleptomaniac, the molester Satan stolen from you? Did he steal a marriage from you? Did he steal one of your kids from you? Did he he steal your 
health? Did he steal your childhood? Did he steal your youth? Did he steal your innocence? Well, here's the good news. Jesus came to redeem and to restore. He wants to restore that lost youth. He wants to destroy that broken, heal that broken heart. He wants to restore uh, that which has been taken away from you. So don't be disheartened if Satan, the thief, and the robber has taken certain things from you. Jesus is in the redemption and restoration business. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And so he gives us abundant life. And, and not just in heaven, but he gives us power and victory this side of heaven on, on earth. He, he leads us to green pastures. Now, other interesting facts about sheep. Sheep will graze the same trails over and over again until they become ruts. Now, I totally identify with a sheep. I love my ruts. If it were left up to me and Kimberly had no influence in my life, I would eat at the same restaurant and order the same thing all the time. I love my ruts. I would do the same vacation. I would do the same everything. God gave me Kimberly to force me into variety in my life because I, I love my ruts. And, and sheep love their ruts. They will graze in the same trails over and over again until they become ruts. They will pollute their own ground until it's full of disease and parasites. They will graze until there's nothing left. They will just graze until they die out there. They will never move. They have to be led to new and greener pastures. Now think back to a few weeks ago when we introduced our new purpose or mission statement. Everyone, everywhere following Jesus. And remember, one of our core values was growing people change. Growing people change. And as you follow Jesus, you will always have a next step to take. As you follow the shepherd, the good shepherd, you will always have a next step to take because growing people change. I would add to it, growing churches change. And, and growing churches will always have a next step to take. Um, I heard something that just really brought some things together for me. About a year ago, I was speaking at a conference, and at the same conference, another of the speakers was Larry Osborne, who's the co-pastor with Chris Brown of North Coast uh, down um, in Oceanside. And he said something so brilliant. He said, if, if you are leading a growing church, if you want to lead a growing church, you've got to be willing to always put up with people's low-grade frustration with you all the time. And I thought back over, and, and forgive me, I, you know, I'm just saying this analytically, this is by the grace of God. Um, every church I've pastored over the last 35 years, I've been a pastor, has grown almost like clockwork, about 100 people per year, year by year for 35 years. About 100 people a year growth, nothing flashy, just long, steady uh, growth, about 100 a year per year over the last 35 years. And I've always lived with constant low-grade frustration with me. As a matter of fact, how many of you are frustrated with me right now? You know, you don't have to raise your hands. Uh, but, but, but it's always going to be there in the same way the sheep always have a bit of frustration with the shepherd because it's moving them beyond the rut into some greener pastures, okay? And, and we talked about the fact uh, a few weeks ago that God's Word, our statement of faith, will never change. But our strategies for green pastures will constantly change, Okay? 
So, so the statement of faith, God's word never changes. Okay? But, but year by year, generation by generation, our strategies will change and we will move beyond our ruts into greener pastures and newer pastures and greener pastures and that will produce a certain low grade frustration with your pastors uh, and with your, your pastor over, over time. Now, you, you know what this is like. Those of you that are parents, how many of you, your children are happy with you 100% of the time? If they are, that's, that's, that's going to be a problem in the future. That probably is not going to turn out well. You as a parent have learned that you need to live with a certain low-grade frustration of your children as you lead them to greener pastures, but it's worth it for the blessing and health of your children. You want to say amen with me on that, okay. And, 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 and so that's what happens. We need to keep moving. I heard the other day that in uh, 1,500 sheep in Turkey, um, where they just followed each other. The shepherd somehow wasn't there. And 1,500 sheep followed each other over a cliff. And 450 of them died. Because the sheep uh, do not want to be led into the fresh places that the shepherd uh, wants to lead them into. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 3, it says, He, our shepherd, guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Um, He leads us into right paths for our own good, for greener pasture, for greater health, and for his name's sake, for his glory. Bruce Young writes, A man or woman who walks with God always gets to the right destination. Isn't that a great quote? A man or a woman who walks with God always gets to the right destination. Number three, I'm confident that God loved me enough to die for me. Five times, just in this one chapter, he talks about the shepherd dying uh, for the sheep. Uh, Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if I were training my son or daughter to be a shepherd, and if you were training your son or daughter to be a shepherd, uh, here's what I would say to him. Look, take Best care of the sheep you can. But if any real danger shows up, like a lion or a bear, forget the sheep. You run. Wouldn't you say that to your kids? Forget about the sheep. You you get out of there because you're way more precious to me. God didn't say that when he was training his son to be a shepherd. You know what God said? He said, you know what? If the sheep are in danger, son, I want you to lay down your life for the sheep. He said, if the sheep need forgiveness, if the sheep need salvation, if the sheep need to go to heaven, if the sheep need an abundant life, son, I'm asking you to lay down your life for the sheep. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Okay, he's not, he's not a martyr where somebody takes our life from us and we don't have any control over that. He had complete control over it. He wasn't a martyr. He, he, no one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. You see, there have been many great teachers through the years. And you didn't know if their teaching was right or not. It's just, okay, that sounds good to me or it doesn't sound too good to me. But Jesus accompanied his teaching with miracles so that we we would know that it was true. And the greatest miracle of all is that there have been many martyrs for their teaching through the years, 
But Jesus gave up his life voluntarily, and after he had died, he had the authority to take it back up again. And nobody has done that. And that's why we follow him as not only the good shepherd, but as the only shepherd worth following. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Number four, I'm confident that God will never leave me or forsake me. Verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now one just quick aside here. Any of you that are what I call under-shepherds within our church, and there are hundreds of you within our church, uh, you're a small group leader, you're a, a Sunday school president, you're an adult Bible study teacher, uh, you lead small groups for children, you're a student ministry small group leader, um, uh, you lead a certain ministry uh, within our church. There are hundreds of ministries and small groups, that, uh, hundreds of flocks that make up the one flock of Purpose Church. And, and you are one of the under-shepherds over your flock. Let me just tell you, your job is so, so important. It is the backbone of our church. The health of our church is determined by the sacrificial nature of the under-shepherds of all these various groups that our church is made up of. And here's just a little challenge I want to give to those of you that lead a group. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, uh, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And here's the, the good news after that challenge. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Amos 3, verse 12, just an interesting side note from the Old Testament. It says, as a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear. See what happened, if a flock uh, was harmed, the hireling, the hired man would have to produce something to show that he had fought for the sheep. And so uh, after the lion had torn it to shreds, he would retrieve a couple of leg bones or a piece of ear just to show that he tried to protect the sheep. But most hired people would only just take off and run when the lion showed up. Jesus says in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice, that's obedience. I know them, that's recognition. And they follow me allegiance. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. If you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you open up your heart and you begin to follow him as your shepherd, Satan is going to try to spoil your sense of security. He's going to whisper in your ear, oh, you sinned last week, and it was a big one. No way he's going to forgive that. You're out of his hands. He says that when we receive him as our Lord and Savior and shepherd, he has forgiven every sin, past, present, and future. And no one can snatch them out of his Father's hand. I'm going to let you read the fifth one on your own for homework. 
And let's just go right to the two responses. Here are the two responses. Here's your choice today. The first choice is rejection. Verse 31, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They rejected that claim. But then there were those that believed, verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. And I want to give you that chance right here, right now. Max Lucado writes, Have you ever seen a picture of a cowboy caressing a cow? Have you ever seen a shepherd caring for a sheep? Why the difference? The cowboy drives the cattle. The shepherd leads the sheep. A herd has a dozen cowboys. A flock has one shepherd. The cowboy wrestles, brands, herds, and ropes. The shepherd leads, guides, feeds, and anoints. The cowboy knows the names of the trail hands. The shepherd knows the names of the sheep. The cowboy whoops and hollers at the cows. The shepherd calls each sheep by name. Aren't we glad Christ didn't call himself the good cowboy? (laughs) As the praise band comes back up for a closing song, In the upper left-hand corner of the next page in your program, you'll see how to become a follower of Jesus. And I want to lead you in this prayer, and I invite you to pray silently this prayer as I pray it out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow you as my shepherd. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in the name of Jesus the good shepherd, and all God's family said.